today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17 from verse 22 to the very end of that chapter. And we're going to be talking about some verses that talk about the second coming of Christ. And whether if you've been in the church for a long time or you're new to this whole church thing, you've probably heard people talk about the second coming of Christ. And if that's a little too far out for you, I'm hoping that today we could make it as simple as possible for us to understand and also in the process, you know, get rid of some misconceptions that you might have heard along the way. So let's get started. Okay, so let's start from verse 22. This is how it reads. Then he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is, but don't go running off after them. Okay, so we're going to talk about this verse in a second, but before we do that, we have to ask the question, who is the Son of Man and what is the days of the Son of Man? And the best way to figure that out is to find out where it's first mentioned, and that's mentioned in the book of Daniel chapter 7. The reason why it's imperative for us to know what the Son of Man means is because of all the titles that Jesus could use for himself, like the Son of God or Messiah, the one that he uses the most by far is the word Son of Man. And there, Daniel is a Jew and he's wondering when this oppression is going to stop. And when he goes to sleep, he has this dream. And in this dream, he sees the sea. And out of the sea comes four beasts. The first beast looks like a lion with wings. The second beast, it looks like a bear. And the third one looks like a leopard. And the fourth one is the crazy one, okay? Because the description is like this. He has like an iron jaw, has horns, and has eyes on those horns. It's, it's weird. And later on, we find out what these beasts represent. See, one of the themes in the Bible is that when a human being is born, and when a human being is created, that that human being has the image of God by default. But when the person starts to push God out of his own life, when these people starts to diminish the image of God inside of them, they start to resemble more and more the behaviors of animals, or in this case, beasts. So these four beasts in Daniel's vision represents these people who are powerful, powerful world rulers, emperors, kings, who have pushed God out of their lives and they are now starting to live like animals. So our focus is going to be on the fourth beast because the fourth beast is supposed to be the most ruthless and most powerful and the most devious one of them all. And as he is rising in power, God looks at him and says, no, that's not going to happen. And he destroys him and his kingdom. Now at the same time in this vision of Daniel's, people look up to the heavens and they see a throne and they see a son of man, that's the word right there, riding on the clouds, going to the throne and sitting there and everybody seeing that worships him. So in the minds of people, they believe that the destruction of the evils of this world is going to happen at the same time as the Son of Man rising and sitting on the throne. Now, if you recall from last week, there was a little timeline I gave you guys. So this is the current era. That's the life that, that the Jews 2,000 years ago were living and we're living in right now. And then we talked about how at the end of time, the end of history, that the Messiah is going to show up. And at that point, the new era or the kingdom is going to start where everything is perfect, everything's honky-dory. But in a turn of events, the Messiah shows up not at the end of history, but shows up in the middle of history. And so because he showed up here, the kingdom is now overlapping with the current era. Now, you and I, we're currently living in this overlap. This is why when you walk down the street, you see this broken world, that's the current era, right? But at the same time, you see pockets of heaven pop out here and there. You see prayers being answered. You see people being healed. You see relationships being healed. 
Right now we're living in the there, but not quite yet. Now, while Jesus showed up in the middle of history, people are still waiting for the Messiah to show up at the end of history for the end of this current era. And what that means is Jesus is coming back for a second time. The Son of Man is going to show up that's going to bring an end to this current era, which means that for the rest of the time, we're going to be living in the kingdom, fully in the kingdom, without any of this current era broken stuff. So you could just imagine a person who's living in the time when they're being oppressed by the Roman Empire. They look and they see every po small pockets of heaven pop up here and there, but at the same time, they're hoping that this whole mess would just blow over one day. So they're waiting for the Son of Man to come a second time. Okay, so let's look back at the verse we just read, and hopefully it'll make more sense this time. Jesus said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. He's talking about his second coming now. But you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, and here he is. Do not go running off after them. Here, Jesus is offering us a word of warning. He's telling us that while we're living this overlap, we're going to experience a lot of evils, a lot of injustices. So much that we're going to start saying, I can't wait for the day of the Son of Man to come. And because of that, if somebody were to offer you some kind of a secret information like, hey, the other day, I thought I saw Jesus walking down the street. I saw this guy with the long hair and the beard, and I'm pretty sure he was Jesus. He says, don't believe them. Well, then the follow-up question is, how are we supposed to know if Jesus really comes? Well, that's what he talks about in the next verse. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. And so he's saying, when the second coming happens, when the day of the Son of Man happens, don't worry about it, everybody will know. He, he said his first coming is like, like undercover boss, where some people knew. Some people said, oh, that's Jesus, that's the Messiah. Other people said, no, he's not. Other people are in denial. Other people um, are just don't know, right? <laughs> and, but then he says, that's my first coming. That, 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 I know it's mysterious the first time, but the second coming, it's going to be as obvious as seeing the entire sky light up like a great lightning. You can't miss it. So don't believe the rumors that you hear about, there he is, here he is, because it'll be so obvious, you'll know right away. Now, before he moves into the next section, he gives us another word of warning because there was this misconception of how the Son of Man was going to appear. You see, back then they believed that the Son of Man, Jesus, that he's going to be victorious and he's going to have no oppositions. But as it turns out, he did, and so that was kind of like a stumbling block for some people. This is what he says. But first, he, that's the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He says, trust me, there's going to be a lot of opposition, but the victory that I'm going to have in the future is going to come through the rejection of oppression. And us, as people who have hindsight 2020, we know that through the cross, through that oppression and rejection, that he did gain the victory. And now Jesus is going to offer us two Old Testament stories that's going to prove the point that you can't trust people who say, hey, there he is, or I think I heard rumors that there he is over there. This is how it goes. Just as in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, if you're like me, you probably heard this verse in a different context. Because when I heard it a long time ago, it was in the context of, if you want to know when Jesus is coming back for the second time, then you got to look out for these signs. 
And so I would start saying like, oh my gosh, people are eating and drinking, they're selling and buying, they're being given in marriage, the end times are here. But this is exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. You see, the things he listed here in both of these stories are things that people did regularly. You're gonna be living your life as normal, day by day, and all of a sudden, bam, it's gonna happen without you even knowing. The point that Jesus is making here, and as well as for the rest of the chapter, is that as Christians, we have to be people who are ready for radical change. We shouldn't be surprised by the interruptions we find in our daily lives because that's how God works. So, so far, Jesus has been telling us that this better day is ahead of us, the kingdom that's to come. But at the same time, we can't count on rumors and predictions to say when it's actually gonna happen. And then from there, he switches gears to tell us, but in the meantime, from now until then, which we don't know when that's gonna be, in the meantime, we should do our best to live with open hands. Be ready to move at a second's notice. And that's accentuated in the next section. It'll be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. So here he's talking about possessions. He's saying that we cling on to certain things and the day where God calls us to move out of something we might hesitate, we might be weighed down by the things that's inside the house or the things that we loved about our current life. So just imagine if your house is on fire or there's a bigger earthquake and your whole family is evacuating out of your house and you turn back and say, guys, I can't go out with you because I need to grab my TV. Now, I know that example is kind of extreme, but there happens to be a person in the Old Testament who fits that very description. And Jesus brings her up in the next verse. He says this, remember Lot's wife. Now, if you don't know Lot's wife's story, so God is bringing sulfur and raining down destruction upon Sodom for its wickedness and they were destroying themselves anyways. And then God says, okay, Lot and your family, you need to leave here right away. Uh, but remember one thing, don't turn back and look at the dis destruction of the city as you're escaping. And as they're running out, Lot's wife, because she's so attached to her home, looks back and then turns into a pillar of salt. So for generations, people use Lot's wife as an example of somebody who had a hard time letting go of the life that she had in the past for the sake of embracing something that's better in the future. And just in case we missed the point, Jesus gives it to us again in verse 33. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Live your life enjoying the things that God has given you, but also enjoy it with your hands open. Don't let your life, the life that you love so much right now, weigh you down for something greater that God has for you in the future. And in this case, the greatest future. Just keep in mind that everything you have right now is temporary. Your house, your bank account, your car, your health, your sex appeal, your TV, all those things are gonna eventually get old and they're gonna weather away. So learn to live, enjoy them, but learn to live with your hands open. Okay, now we get into this passage, and I'm really excited about this passage because it's one of the most misinterpreted passages in the New Testament, and I have a lot of fun just tearing it apart. I, I hope you enjoy as much as I do. This is how it goes. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, and one will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken and the other one left. Now, this passage right here is often used and quoted to talk about the rapture. And if you don't know what the rapture is, they, some Christians believe that at the end times, when you know the Son of Man comes back for the second time, um, all the Christians are gonna be taken away and everybody else, all the heathens, they're gonna stay here and watch the world burn. Now, I know I'm being a little facetious here, but 
The reason why I believe that this verse is not talking about the rapture is because the very next verse after that. The disciples ask, uh, where, Lord, where are they going to be taken away to? And Jesus replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. He's basically saying the, the bodies that get taken away are going to end up where all dead bodies are, where the vultures eat at their flesh. Uh, it doesn't sound like that's where you want to be taken away to. You want to be the one that gets left behind. But there's something deeper that's happening here. When Jesus used the word vulture, he was using it symbolically. The word vulture could also be translated as eagle, and the vulture-eagle symbol in the New Testament represented uh, the Roman Empire. Jesus illustrates for us two people who are in bed, two people who are working outside, and all of a sudden, the Roman Empire comes in and invades their, their, their space. And instead of just running away, people stick around because they want to make sure they have all their belongings, and because of that, they get captured, taken away to a place of the vultures. While it's okay to enjoy the things God has given you, people who don't live their lives with their hands open are the ones who cling to it and eventually end up in the worst situation. Jesus is making reference to that timeline I just gave you a few minutes ago. The people who hold on and cling on to the old era as the, when the Son of Man comes, He's going to destroy it so that we can have a better era ahead of us. What He's saying is people who cling on to it as that world is being destroyed are the ones who's going to miss out on the kingdom of this utopia, this place where there's no more pain and no more sorrow. So again, Jesus says, you can enjoy the current world, but remember to let go of it when the time comes. Now, if you were to go deeper in what Jesus is teaching us, what you'll discover is that there's something else at play here. What Jesus is saying is this, when it comes to empire rulers, these world powers, what are they but people who just like to cling on to the land that they acquired, the power that they have, the money that they have, the slaves that they have. You see the beasts in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, they're basically human beings that cannot let go of the things they've acquired. And now Jesus is telling us the same thing. He's saying, if you have a hard time letting go of certain things, we are basically miniature versions of the beast. For example, let's just say that you're really clinging on to the way you look right now, and you'll do anything to make sure that you don't look older in the future. What corners are you willing to cut? And what compromises are you willing to make in life to make sure that you hold on to that one thing? Or maybe it's your house. Maybe there's somebody out there who is saying, I need a place to stay for one night, but you love the way your carpet looks. Are you willing to keep people who are in need of shelter outside of your house for the sake of clinging onto your clean carpets? Or maybe somebody's in need and you're saying, no matter what happens, I'm never gonna let go of my money. And so it keeps you from being generous to the people who God is calling you to be generous to. Or maybe it's your work, your position at work. And you know that if you don't cut some corners, if you don't cheat a little bit, you might lose that position at work. What are you willing to compromise for the sake of holding on to that, that dream that you have for your work? We all have a little bit of a beast inside of us. And Jesus is telling us, be ready to let go of that, especially when the Son of Man comes again the second time. So in summary, Jesus is telling us there is a better future for us out there. But don't be duped because when it happens, it'll be completely obvious. But be careful because it's going to happen when you least expect it. And when it happens, be ready to let go of the things that you're clinging on to because your obsession with that lifestyle that you have at that time might be the reason you might miss out on the better future. So what is it in your life that you have to let go of? What do you see yourself clinging on to and willing to compromise everything else for? These are some of the questions that we have to ask ourselves if we are to call ourselves the people of the kingdom. So, brothers and sisters, may we all 
enjoy the life that God has given us, but enjoy it with our hands open. May we also go into this world with the hope of a future that is better than the one it is today, but also be present in the one we're in right now. And through all this, may we all experience heaven together. God bless you.